So this morning, we're starting a new series called Back to Basics, and I'm excited to be kicking that off. I'm excited for this series. I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be timely, I think coming from our Vision Sunday last weekend, and looking forward into, into this new season as a church, to take six weeks to just come around some of the, the foundational beliefs of who we are and what we do, and to give it perspective, is only going to help us through that journey. So I'm excited for that. Uh, so we're taking six weeks to basically go through some foundational beliefs of our faith. And it's gonna start this morning with worship. And me being the worship guy here, I'm slightly intimidated to be preaching on worship, but I'm excited to do it as well. Um, but so we're gonna start with worship this week. Next week, Dr. Jeff Arthurs from Gordon-Conwell, he was uh, part of our Read the Red series. He's gonna be joining us to teach. Um, so that's next weekend. Dr. Jeff Arthurs from Gordon-Conwell is gonna join us to teach on delighting in God's word. Um, following that, we'll look at delighting in the Trinity, delighting in the church, delighting in God's salvation, and then finally, delighting in God's justice and mercy. So I think this series, I think this series is going uh, to be an appropriate launching pad for 2020 um, for us. Um, and I'm hoping that this, this study gives us a, a real firm base and understanding of these beliefs. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So that being said, my name is Chris Lindbergh. I'm the worship pastor here at uh, Community Covenant, and this morning, I'll be bringing a sermon titled, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Delighting in Worship. And I wanna start our time together by asking a simple question. What do you worship? I want you to hold on to that question as we're studying, as we're learning this morning. Just hold on to that question. What do I worship? Notice I didn't ask when you worship or how you worship. I didn't even ask if you worship. That's a given. What we worship, that changes. And we were created by God to worship. So we worship, whether we like it or not. We worship and we find things to worship and we're really good at it. We're really good at it. At our deepest level, we're created to worship God. But this instinct can tend to go astray, right? Jonathan Edwards spoke of religious affections, and he wrote this, that the core of our being that orients our soul, our religious affections are the core of our being that orients our soul, mind, will, and emotions towards objects other than God. So we can have these religious affections towards other things. We end up worshiping relationships, achievements, work, status, possessions. Sometimes this time of year, we can even worship sports, something as simple as sports. But religious affections are turned from God, and they're put onto something else. We can worship pretty much almost, almost anything but God. We can turn those religious affections toward. So we have no problem worshiping. So that question, I want you to hold on to that. What do we worship? What do we worship? And we're going to see that worshiping God is, is really broken up in, into two parts. It's seeing God's worth and then giving God what he's worth in response to that. So it's seeing God's worth and it's giving God what he's worth. Something that Greg did last week and I'd like to do it more and more as a church is a form of worship and that's proclaiming the word of God together as a church. And so I'd like to start our time now by reading through Psalm 96 together. I'm gonna to be reading from the ESV. The words will be up on the screen. But let's take a moment and stand together we're going to read through Psalm 96 together. 
Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that we can stand on this truth. God, we pray that, that in this moment now we orient ourselves around what you're about to reveal to us, what you're about to teach us about who you are, about who we are in relationship to you, Lord. God, we pray that your spirit stirs in us now, gives us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you would have us learn in these moments. As with humility and gratitude that we come before you now, humbled by the fact that the almighty God loves us in a way that you make us you make yourself accessible to us in a way, Father. That's so real. How beautiful that is, God. God, stir in us hearts filled with worship, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes all of this possible. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Be seated. So when we think of worship as a church, I think it's easy to think about the songs that we sing. It's easy to think about the 20 minutes that start our gathering. It's easy to attribute worship to what we do on a Sunday morning. And even the Psalms themselves, as we read through the Psalms, that, that they're, they're songs of praise, songs of worship. Actually, more, more so, they're songs of lament. But you can, if you read through the Psalms, you can start to see familiar language, familiar sentiment behind what's being sung and what's being said. So it doesn't, I'm not saying that we, we downplay those moments that we spend together in worship. But from my experience, worship is so much deeper than that. And it's been a journey for me. God's slowly opened, the, opened my eyes in his time and revealed to me what worship is, how to approach worship, how God views worship. And it's much deeper than 20 minutes of song. It's how I started serving in the church. I was 15. Started leading worship. Could play the guitar, could sing. But through that journey, through 25 years, 
God has been slowly tuning my heart in worship. And so I want to share, I want to share a little bit of, of that this morning. One of the best definitions for worship that I've found, and I shared this in the, in the newsletter this past week, is from a book called Seven Words of Worship. And in it, the authors write that worship is our response to God's revelation of who he is and what he has done. So worship is our response to God's revelation of who he is and what he has done. And I like this definition for worship because I like where it starts. Worship starts with who God is. Worship doesn't start with something that we do, with something that we create, although we may express our worship in that. But worship starts with who God is, and worship is a response to that, to who God is and all that he's done. And I know for me, my journey through this in exploring worship has been when I experience, the more I experience God, the more I interact with God in true, awestruck kind of uncontainable worship, worship that just overflows. Every time that I do, my relationship with God grows deeper. And I think God's designed it that way as well. So this morning, I want to break down this experience of worship, and I want to break it down into three parts. Worship as praise, worship as proclamation, and worship as posture. And as you go down that list, well, you'll notice worship as praise, worship as proclamation, worship as po- posture. As we go down this list, you'll start to see that each one of those points starts to become more and more eter- internal, not eternal, internal. Well, maybe eternal as well, but <laughs> internal. <laughs> you have to internalize this idea of worship, praise, proclamation, and then posture. So the first is worship as praise. Worship as praise. And what worship as praise is, quite simply, it's just an expression of our admiration. It's that awestruck moment. It's that lifting up. Praise is the expression of our admiration towards something, in this case, towards God. It's that moment where you're able to see something differently or experience something differently. I remember, um, I remember when I was younger, I, I had a moment with God where it was actually, it was the winter time and it was snowing. And I was able to, for whatever reason, where I was in my, in my journey, I was able to look out that window and see the snow falling and I was just, I saw, I saw God. I saw God's creation. All of these truths start clouding my head and I start just worshiping, like awestruck, awestruck at God's creation. I often pray, God, would you return me to that moment? I want to experience that moment again. The worship is just, an expression of our admiration for who God is. And we can, we can express that through emotions. Sometimes in worship, we can be brought to tears. Sometimes in worship, we can be filled with joy. But we express that through emotions. We can express that physically. Sometimes we're brought to our knees. There's been moments where I've just needed to pray so hard that I just dropped to my knees. In singing, we can raise our hands, that universal sign of surrender. We can raise our hands in worship. So we express our worship through that praise. And worship is, we're also talking about worth. And worship actually comes from an old English word, meaning worth-ship. So it's ascribing worth to something. And often when I think of that, I think of that idea of admiration and worth-ship. 
I'll think of a scale kind of in the balance. And the idea behind that is the weightiness of God, the worth, the value. The idea behind that is no matter what, no matter what you put on the other side of that scale, it just can't tip. It just can't tip the scale. God is that worthy of our praise. That idea of being awestruck. Paul David Tripp actually has a book titled Awe. And in it, he says, only when awe of God rules your heart will you be able to keep the pleasures of the material world in their place. I'm reminded of that scale, right? Only when we're awestruck, when we have that response to who God is, that scale will will never tip. So there's this element of, of placing worth on who God is. In awe, in awe, and in wonder. I think of the story in Luke 5. The story of a paralyzed man who's brought before Jesus. And Jesus heals him. He says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately the man rose up before the crowd around him. And he picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. This story should jump off the page as, at us as well, right? So this is a lame man, a paralyzed man, healed by Jesus. The story says he picks up his mat, what he'd been lying on, and he runs home glorifying God. I'm pretty sure he didn't just take a gentle stroll home. This guy had been laying down for who knows how long, right? I envision him wrapping up his mat and just dancing down the street, glorifying God, praising God for what Jesus had done. But then it says, amazement seized the crowd. And they glorified God and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. It reminds me of a song that we sing with the worship team. Um, Great things. It's, um, oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive. You break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. But that lyric, when we sing that lyric, what we're saying is we're just in awe of who God is and what he has done. But I also think of that story as well, where the... the, the um, The crowd is quoted as saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I'm pretty sure that that just didn't stay in that room right there or wherever they were gathered. I'm pretty sure that that spread like wildfire. So there's this awestruck moment, but then there's also a retelling. So there's there's this moment of praise. There's this moment of worth where we're giving God the glory due his name. But then that turns from praise to proclamation. And this is where it gets one more notch, right? So it, it's, these things are slowly beco- going to become more and more internal. So we have no problem getting together or lis- and singing songs or listening to songs on the radio and just sort of affording that praise to God. But that next level is, is this idea of proclamation. That next level is this idea of our worship being, did you see what God did? Much like those people in that crowd, I imagine them going to their friends and their family and they're sharing this moment of proclamation, this moment of you, you'll, never be, you'll never believe what I saw today. And they share the story. So worship is also a proclamation. We're, we're placing worth on who God is and all that he's done when we're proclaiming his works. Right? Just like in, in Psalm 96 it says. It says to proclaim his works among the peoples. Declare his glory among the nations. There's a proclamation in worship as well. There's a proclamation there. This idea of look what God did. This past week, I had the privilege of meeting with the, the prayer team and, during their prayer meeting on Thursday night. 
That's a meeting that happens from 7 to 8.30 every Thursday. Everybody here, even if that's not your thing, take an evening, take a Thursday night, and attend one of these prayer meetings. There's powerful moments happening within these meetings. And it doesn't mean you have to join. It doesn't mean you have to be there every week. You don't even necessarily have to come because you, you need prayer in, in, any, in anything. But just join this team, sit in on this team, because the, during that, that prayer time, I heard so many stories of, look what God did. We prayed this a week ago, and look what God did. We've been praying for this for a month, and look what God did. There was physical response in worship there. There was clapping. There was shouting. There was exclamation for what God had done in the midst of prayer. It was such a powerful, powerful moment. But, but that proclamation of who God is, the proclamation of the worth of God, can, it doesn't just happen in songs. It can happen anywhere, and it happens in prayer. But this idea of look what God did. And I find for myself, I've plenty to proclaim. One of the biggest deceptions that I face is that I don't ascribe it to the right person or to the right source. You catch what I'm saying there? Like there's this, it's almost like I have opportunity to worship God and to give God glory in moments. My own self or my own thoughts kind of get in the way. Example of that is this past holiday, uh, this past holiday season, we had to do some traveling and we had to, you have to use my wife's car when we do traveling because that's the one that can hold everybody. And uh, we, we, had, um, we, had to, we had to have some repairs done. We had to have some repairs done. We had to have some repairs done. It was $534.78. So we ended up putting it on a, on a charge card. We had to because we had to get our vehicle up and running. Christmas goes closer. I'm out at breakfast with a friend, close family friend. Him and I, our families are really tight. And at the end of breakfast, he just slips an envelope across the table, says, I was given a a good bonus at work and I want you to have some. It covered the the cost of the repairs. Covered the cost of the repairs, right? Amen. I take that and I say, uh, I don't even say anything in the moment and I I regret that. I mean, I say thank you, but call my wife, say, you know, you'll never believe this. It wasn't a look what God did. It was a never believe this. What a coincidence. This is perfect. (laughs) Right? What a coincidence. But that's what I mean. I have plenty of opportunity to proclaim and to give God the worth that he's due. And this is with another believer. I wish in that moment that I had paused and said, "Could could we just pray here? Could we just worship? Can we just sit in silence? But can we just acknowledge that this is God providing for the ones that he loves? Working among his people. So I have plenty to proclaim. And worship for me is is less about where I can put worship, but what I need to remove that's keeping me from, from entering into that presence, from proclaiming. And that's where I start thinking about a posture towards worship. So that's number three, a posture towards worship. And this is probably going to be the most internal of all three, the deepest of all three. 
Now posture, I could be talking about physical posture because there's a posture to how we worship or how we sing or how we pray. But what I'm talking about is the posture of our hearts. I'm talking about tuning our hearts towards the heart of God. So worship as a posture. Psalm 84 says, my soul longs, faints for the courts of the Lord. A.W. Tozer actually writes about this tuning our hearts towards God. And he writes about its effect actually within community. And I love this quote because it it speaks along that same line of tuning. But A.W. Tozer writes, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking at Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So worship as a posture is attuning our hearts towards God's, God's heart in that moment where I had received that gift, if I had a posture of worship, I would have said, praise God. Praise God. And I would have shared with that friend, look what God is doing. Look what God's doing right now. A posture of worship. When we have a posture of worship, worship doesn't become something that we do. Worship becomes something that we can't help not to do. And a posture of worship, the pursuit, our pursuit for a posture of worship should hang on that idea. Less about what we need to do, more about what we need to get out of the way, or more about those religious affections that we have to turn from, from something else and focus on God and what he's doing. In that sense, worship is everywhere. Worship is in all things. We have to surrender There's an element of surrender there, right? All being tuned to the same fork. And when we tune our hearts to God, there's an element of surrender there. We allow God to shape our lives, to tune our hearts. Sometimes tuning our hearts can be pretty painful. But he's going to pull our religious affections away from those false idols. We're going to place them on God. One final thought when when I consider this a posture of worship, and this was what um, brought uh, Psalm 96 to mind, is when I was reading this, when I got towards the end, there was that moment where um, the words hopped off the page and, and God spoke something to me, something that I hadn't caught before. But it's in verses 11 through 13 where it says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. What I noticed in these final verses of the psalm is how David reflects attributes of creation towards worship. The earth rejoices, the seas roar, the fields exult and the forest sings. Sounds very psalmy, right? 
And to, to us, it would be easy to say, well, the, the, the earth provides an environment for life and the seas are controlled by the gravitational pull of the moon and the, the fields are filled with noisy crickets and the forest is full of chirping birds. But the perspective that the psalmist gives, where all those descriptions may be true of what they do, all creation worships. So underneath it all, as much as we try and put explanations in the way. I don't even think we try to put explanations in the way, actually. They may exist there, but a posture of worship is our ability to remove that and to see what the psalmist sees. So now when I go to the beach and I hear the waves crashing, yeah, it has to do with the moon, for sure. Tides and all of that. But I'm going to hear it differently. And the fields exult with crickets chirping on a summer night. Sure, I'm going to hear it differently because you have a posture of worship. Worship then becomes something you can't help not to do. You were made to worship so much more than being made to sing for 20 minutes, to sing songs. I'm not saying that those are bad things, that those are great, but the posture that exists within them is very important and it's become very important to me. So the, the one takeaway or the big idea for this moment, and I had a hard time putting, putting something together because like I said, I don't think this is the complete conversation and I love conversations around worship, so bring it to me if you got it. But worship is seeing God above all that we have. That's an idea of value, of worth. And seeing God at the center of all that we do. So that's that ability to remove those things that keep us from focusing on what God's doing. It could be sometimes the simplest of things. But that's where worship exists, not in what we do. It's all about what God's doing and what God has done. Worship is our response to that. And God, help us to remove those things that keep us from seeing that. So then we go back to that question. What do you worship? What do you worship? Not if you worship. What do you worship? We were all made to worship. I feel like I can prove that with one picture. <laughs> right? Probably just under 70,000 people, not counting the ones watching on TV, in this facility alone, right? And I would probably argue that, that everybody, in some part, are all actually looking at one guy, especially in this area. There's all kinds of praise and awe and admiration happening. The next day, there will be plenty of proclaiming and retelling. Throws and catches and plays are described with this sort of, can you believe he did that amazement, right? So much so that we'll go out and we'll buy, you know, shirts and banners, jerseys, just to let everyone know who we align with. Now, I'm not saying that, that's, that this is a bad thing. Nor am I saying that the goal would be to make church look like that, but that would be pretty awesome. It really would. I'm not, I'm not saying that the, the, the goal is to make church like that, but I'm, but I'm off in the context of worship, I'm offering some perspective. Because we worship and we worship well. We know how to worship. I find for me in my, in my journey, it's just that. It's being able to attribute to God 
the glory that's due. Right? So that the psalmist isn't saying, the psalmist isn't saying that we have to conjure up anything. God is due glory. It's up to us to ascribe it to him just like we ascribe it to other things. Uh, the one thing I love about this analogy is Kyle Eidelman writes it in his book called Not a Fan. And he talks about you know, us being able to look upon all that God's doing as our, our gospel-centered worship looks at the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and all that's going on. And, and, and we can look upon that and we can be in awe and admiration and we can proclaim the greatness of it and we can represent who God is in our life. But where this analogy breaks down is that what we have would be like that one guy saying, I'm doing some pretty amazing stuff down here. Would you come join me? Would you come join me? Would you come be a part of this? That's what's amazing about what we have, is that as much as we find ourselves in, in, in awe of who God is, he then reaches out to us and says, you're welcome into this. You're welcome to experience this fullness of life, this joy. That only produces more worship. That produces an, a, a deeper relationship with who God is, a deeper relationship with what worship looks like. It's contagious. If you have not responded to that call, I invite you to do that this morning. We're made to worship. We worship well. We're, we're designed to worship God. But God also reaches out to us and says, would you join me in all the amazing things that you're seeing? A life filled with the Spirit. And we're going to do greater things than Jesus himself did. Right? The Bible says we have greater things are going to come from us. That'd be like those, those men watching Jesus heal someone and him saying, join me. You do more than that. Join me. So respond to that. I'll be in the back of the worship center at the end of the gathering. There'll be people at the connections. There'll be greeters here. If you haven't responded to that call, then I invite you to do that experience that life. But we want to move forward in worship, and when we do, we want to look at how we worship, and we want to look as a church, we want to look at what we even call worship. I hope that this changes the conversation of what worship looks like at Community Covenant Church, and that it draws it out so much farther than singing songs in, in the, the, the first 20 minutes of a gathering. I pray that this perspective of worship actually puts priority in that moment as well. Yeah, we're not just singing songs together. This isn't a prelude to a sermon. We're ascribing glory to God because he's due that. And we creatively find ways to express that, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in song, whether it's in teaching. But my hope is that the, the, the church responds to, the conversation changes around worship here. Amen? Let's pray together.